everyone. Uh, welcome to This Week in Caribbean Tech. Of course, it's the podcast where we give you the top Caribbean tech news that's on our mind. That's be- that's pretty much popping this week. And we serve it up with you with some uh, unfiltered insights, um, some uh, of our special quotes, <laughs> because <laughs> the people and businesses that are driving the Caribbean digital economy very interesting. And of course, when we pair that, which is what is happening, which is w- with what is happening globally, it can make for a very interesting podcast most times. Because of course, we of course will give you a heads up in terms of the upcoming tech and business events. We believe that you should add to your calendar. Um, if you're new here, my name is Ingrid Riley. I'm the founder of Silicon Carib. And with me this week, not in his Trini Colors, um hey host <laughs> i'm daniel smith uh co-host of this week in caribbean tech and the founder of keepingly and guess what now we, we we have of course um a guest with us because you know a lot of things are popping and we need to get people who are on the ground and plugged into things um joining us so we'll introduce him shortly because I have to tell you, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the FTX scandal out of Bahamas and how this is will be affecting the crypto culture and the crypto businesses in the Caribbean. We're also going to be talking about digital remittances um, with NCB out of Jamaica. Next up on uh, our agenda is the Caribbean woman with the largest LinkedIn follower audience. Do you know who that is? And then we're going to be telling you about um, Caribbean businesses and the metaverse opportunity. In addition to, is the future of Caribbean money event coming back? And when is it? And what is it going to be all about? So right at the top of the show, I'm going to bring in our guest. His name is Leroy Forbes, the man who wrote about FTX. (laughs) And I, and, I, and, I, and I begged him, and I begged him Leroy to let me publish it on Silicon Caribe. And so, yeah, so Leroy, um, I said, God, dude, we've got to talk about this FTX scandal. Um, but sure. more importantly, uh, what does it mean for the Caribbean? We've been seeing a lot of things popping up, but let us start <laughs> from the beginning. Leroy, welcome to This Week in Caribbean Tech. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for having me on the show. Um, as you said, we've been talking we've been back and forth for a while now but we finally actually got to sit down for this so i appreciate y'all having me on to talk about this complete train wreck <laughs> that we've been watching slowly happen. is this the slowest train wreck i ever seen in my 30 years of life listen to me and is it, it and is it, it ain't like, finished is it, it like finished. it's not finished yet at all now let's start with it let's let's tell the people what we're talking about what we started around a week ago Mm-hmm. where FTX, um, which was in fact the third largest crypto exchange in the world with a mm-hmm. valuation of around 34 billion US dollars. It was founded by um, 29, well, then 29-year-old um, dude, American dude named Sam Bankman fried mm-hmm. They moved their headquarters to the Bahamas, Nassau Bahamas, a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, Bahamas has very pro-crypto friendly um, le- legal legal framework and environment yep. there. Fast yep. forward to a week ago, all things went to shit. 
completely. Now, Leroy, what's been your synopsis in terms of what exactly happened? Tell the people. So what exactly happened was... Uh, what exactly happened, the short version of it, is a young fella of a certain persuasion came through um, with some nice fancy words, a whole lot of money, and convinced everyone to trust him. And people seeing that that just might not be the best idea when you really ain't vetting the people. Um, and it, it, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's the consumer's fault or it's people's fault for all of this stuff happening, but I think the the degree of trust that he has garnered in the sh super short amount of time that he's been in the space has been alarming from the jump. From my earlier coverage, you had mentioned the article I wrote about FTX coming to the Bahamas. I was skeptical from the jump, mm. from, right from the get-go. I said, is this going to be a good thing? Are we sure this is what we want to do? I understand the possibilities. I understand the, the opportunities that are being presented with this new avenue, with the DARE Act, with the FCSP, um, with this new infrastructure being set up for this new industry, I completely understood the the potential upside. Mm -hmm. But at what cost when you're moving this rapidly into something that in the DARE Act itself, if you read through the DARE Act, they highlight that, look, this is going to be evolving because we still learning about it. We still trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. is it's it's in the act itself yeah. so i think <clears throat> diving so quickly into this like we want to be the first one out the gate with it you know we're proud of you know first uh fully launched fully piloted cbdc in the world uh the first fully regulated um infrastructure set up for a, a regulatory framework for the crypto or the digital assets because they don't want to say crypto mm -hmm. but um yeah, I mean, when you go fast, you break things, and they break. <laughs> FTX comes through and break in a lot of windows in this house. Yeah, pretty much. What what in essence what has happened is that they have that thirty four billion US dollar valuation is now zero. Gone. They, negative. Well, it's negative. It's exactly. negative. No, they they owe a lot of people money. So in mm. other words, it started in two thousand and nineteen, and here you know three years later, um, they had a liquidity crunch. They mm -hmm. could not get um raise money in time to back up the moves that they were making in, in the in the crypto mm -hmm. market. Um, somebody who had shares in them, and somebody meaning the the, the owner of um Binance um dot mm -hmm. com, which is the second largest. No, it's the yeah, it's the second largest crypto exchange mm -hmm. in the world, which is owned run by this Chinese dude called CZ. CZ um, CZ. Um, so he said, you know what, he doesn't like what he's hearing and seeing, so he's going to sell his shares or an FTT token, whatever they call it. And so that seemed to have alerted people to how illiquid FTX was, and it sent the crypto market on a tailspin. It went from, you know, like Bitcoin and ETH dropped um, a good mm -hmm. double digits um, without question. Bitcoin went to 16, no, down to 15, which is the lowest it has mm -hmm. been in over two years. ETH dropped down to 1200 up to, from a high of um 1800 or 1600 it was was mm -hmm. the last couple of months and cz decides that he's going to you know help out by trying to take them over take over mm -hmm. fx he went in he probably looks at the books and go oh hell no yeah no no <laughs> hey, hey so let me... that, that led to a whole 
bunch of other things that people were like, well, what exactly is happening in FTX? And mm-hmm. they realized that the emperor had no clothes. <laughs> let me let me throw a little extra spice in the pot, though. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You think, because all of this, like you said, was triggered by, it was a simple tweet. It was just one tweet yes. that CZ put out. Yes. It started the domino effect. You think that was intentional? You know, I'm going to come to that. Because I'm going to come to that in a bit. I'm going to come to that a bit. But what has happened over over over, over this time is that um, investors, Sequoia Capital, which is one of the best mm-hmm. um, venture capital firms in the world, um, who actually invested in FTX and then FTX was making too much money to reinvested back into Sequoia to the tune of 500 million US dollars. Um, mm-hmm. They started just, okay, right, this is this is something is going wrong. They've started writing off their investments. And so all the all of the, the venture capital firms, the pension funds, the education funds, the high net worth individual and investors realized that their money was gone. And they started doing a lot of investigations as to what exactly happened. And it basically boils down to that this seemed to have been, FTX seemed to have been a pyramid scheme. You take from Paul to pay Peter, and you're hoping that whatever happens in between that 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 righteous cycle, it can go on and on until somebody plays, <clears throat> raises their hand and say, hey, give me some of this. And then you can't, that's basically what it is in a nutshell. So a lot of PC firms are now you know, making a lot of noise saying that Ogel Desh did not do enough due diligence or is he really the boy genius that he, we had um, said that he was. And um, so right now things are still unraveling in terms of the level of exposure or level of the contagion. So in, in other words, all the people, um, investors and businesses that were plugged into the FTX matrix because I believe FTX had at least 30, com- 30 companies registered around the world doing different things in this ecosystem. All mm-hmm. of those entities are now bankrupt. All of the mm-hmm. startups and investors who um, were in any way, shape or form exposed to FTX, there's thing pretty much a big old goose egg right now. And so people are still talking yep. about the level of, um, it, well, you know, it's clearly looking at like fraud, um, you know, you know, basically small market. Yes. You know, the market was up to three trillion, um, three trillion US dollars. Mm-hmm. And now it's considered to be small. And so it wouldn't, so the FTX basically flaming out would not fully, um, impact the economy. Um, but it would definitely would raise the hairs upon people's, um, chest in terms of the, the fact that their investments have gone to zero. Um, Daniel, you're very quiet because you were also not very Mr. Crypto um, because you were like, no, wait until y'all regulate. Figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I know you and I went back and forth when this, when the crap of this started hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. And as the more I read about Sam Brinkman, uh, Fred, and the more I read about FTX, the more it shows just to me, you know, I look at it from a different lens as the lens of, hey, I'm a founder who's trying to raise. So understand, you know, all the pattern matching or the, you know, I think Forbes, uh, one of them over the weekend had the article talking about how um, he was a model company or he was building this model company and so much VCs had put so much faith in him. And I'm like, yo, this is a 30-year-old dude 
And then, then I think what compounded for me on the weekend was also watching um, Chamat Pramateriel talking about, hey, when they sent this whole document, they sent back a two-page document saying, hey, um, we need you to put a board in place. We need you to uh, do certain things. They sent back a, a big go, F you. And I'm like, huh? Yeah. So we've created these kind of monsters in terms of, hey, these guys are so big. And, and these guys are collapsing systems. Mm-hmm. And we are at this stage in, in history, which is why, you you know, my, my biggest takeaway always is that we need regulation to protect consumers. Because even I was having this argument with a friend of mine, I was saying, hey, here's what, if you put 250,000 US in the bank here, at least you know you're getting that back. That is the consumer protection. When you put the money in crypto, you you put... It's all gone to zero. What does anybody who has invested it in the FTT get back from their investment? Not a dollar. Yeah. And, and, so, that, and, that's, and that's why as, as a market being early, they always, yeah. they're, they're always prefacing people saying, if you go into the crypto market only by putting in but, what you're, you, you're you afford to lose. To lose. Right. Mm-hmm. That's it. That clearly was was that the case that the the that was that the headspace that the VCs were in and the pension funds were in, or were they caught by caught up in the narrative of this boy genius, um, you know, who you know seemed to have found this wonderful great arbitrage of buying crypto and whatever it is in in another part of the country at one price and then selling it at a higher price in another, and they saw how much money could be made because of the the the, the volume of that was in a marketplace. I mean, you know, you think it was the boy genius, um, let me put, put it this way, the white boy genius narrative that caught the old white men with money and their, what I call FOMO, their fear of missing out. Leroy, what do you think? I honestly think it's a little bit of both. Um... I think the the young white boy genius definitely played a huge part in a lot of the progression that they got, a lot of the rapid um, the rapid incline of the company, the rapid rise of FTX and SBF as his, as his status as the world's most generous billionaire, mm-hmm. you know, billionaire philanthropist, young genius coming out, buying this, buying that. So that definitely was a part of it. But at the same time, I... I Knowing how big players play, knowing how the whales play, there's some degree of knowledge. They're not completely ignorant. Mm. They weren't completely just, you know, uh, uh, a smile and some quick words and a, a lot of large vocabulary. They weren't just won over by that. They had to know something along the way. And that, that's not saying that they were aware of fraud or they were aware of the, 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 the Ponzi dynamic that basically made up the infrastructure of the company. But... They know, look, whatever it is you're doing, you're going to make money. I want peace. The infrastructure is set up. The governments are already on board. We already have the the existing systems that we know work from traditional finance, from traditional banking, from traditional VC and fundraising. And we just got to bring it over here. And you could quadruple that. You could quintuple that in a year. Whereas with traditional, you're looking at sub, you're looking at single digit gains, but here you're making double digits in a month, in two months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They 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 jump on board. They don't have to hear the whole story. They don't have to hear it. So and once I, one on board, all on board. 
Correct. So you seem to have that sort of a multiplier effect. Money's been made here. We're gonna we're gonna go over there because again, that's the that's the game of a VC. They wanna they wanna you know have the ten x twenty x fifty x that they're used to. So if this is a market mm -hmm. that can give to them, that they're, they're gonna put their attention and their money behind it. Okay. So we've established what has basically happened, and we're still it's still unraveling in the United States. You know, people are being um you know, chase, maybe, you know, be brought in from Bahamas and extradited from the Bahamas to the States. People are saying, oh, well, you know, this is criminal. There's highly likely that somebody or some people are going to be going to jail. Uh, mm -hmm. But the economy is going to still re retain. Crypto is going to still go on. But this was a simply a really big bad actor who got caught, um, you know, with no emperor, um, with the emperor had no clothes, even though, one of the things that really caught me was that when things were shut down and there's no money and, you know, FTX was going to zero, they had $600 million on their exchange that was hacked and sucked out by mm -hmm. whoever it is that was local in mm -hmm. Bahamas. Why mm -hmm. was it then? I don't know if you know anything around this. Why was it then that nobody else could have pulled out their money anywhere else around the world? But in Bahamas, based on the reports that I saw, based on their local laws, but people who are native to Bahamas could actually have access to um, their funds. And $600 million was reportedly hacked. Where did that go, Leroy? Where do you think it went? They're going in someone's pocket. They're going right in someone's pocket. So the same way that SPF, there were the reports that um, SPF had some backdoor initially set up in FTX itself, where he was able to pull funds and funnel them over to Alameda without any red flags or any alerts going off. So even external auditors coming in wouldn't be able to see these funds moving and everything would look fine. Yeah. So knowing this, we're supposed to believe we're supposed to believe that this is just a random hack that happened to happen at the time that everything's going down the drain everyone's panicking no one knows what's going on everyone's losing money and this hacker just happened to, uh, let me get a quick 600 mil out here and i go on mm -hmm. come on yeah. like there, 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 there there's something fishy there's something not right with the story in and of itself it has to be either someone directly or indirectly tied to any of the heads of the entire company of the corporation there has to be someone that knows the ins and outs. The same way there was that backdoor for the funneling of the funds. It's easy to make something look like a hack if you know the system. It's super easy. And you're telling me now with these funds draining out, FTX suddenly has such lackluster security that a hacker just happens to... Your security doesn't just drop when you lose money. Like I understand you, you, you don't have the funds to upkeep daily operations, but... If your security was set up, your digital security, your cyber security was set up to where this was not just one of the top, but one of the safest exchanges on the planet, that don't just go out the window in a day, a couple of days, in a week. So either your exchange was always trash or someone with access was able to get in, move some numbers, type in some code and make it look like it was a forced entry. Yeah. Which one sound more plausible? <laughs> well, you know, I don't. We, you know, we're gonna stay far from any lawyers um, on this show. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> but, but Leroy, uh, Ingrid, just, just to get well, Leroy is. I understand what Leroy is 
saying. Um, but what I wanted to understand, even though from a country perspective, mm-hmm. what is the what is the uh, feeling in the Bahamas currently at this stage around FTX? Well, um, I'm currently living in the U.S. I do keep in contact with people back home just to get a general feel for the climate and everything that's going on. Um, so I try to keep constant tabs to keep up to date on what's happening. And for the average person, this doesn't change much right? because the, the, the average person isn't even aware of what's going on. This doesn't affect them. Most people aren't even involved in the space. But for the ones that are in the space, for the ones that are heavily invested into some of these centralized exchanges, some of these um, some of these newer companies that are establishing themselves. Um, because previously people had to do all of their stuff internationally. So this was the first year that the opportunity was presented for everyone to invest here in the Bahamas and still have access to this space. So there's definitely a, a knock to that confidence for the people that are actively in the space that have been doing this stuff that have been in for one, two, three, four years, seeing all of this play out in just the first year of operations was a huge hit to consumer confidence. Now, it's not dissuading too many people. Um, the most, the majority of people that I've found that seem to are, are taken aback completely and wary of the space as a whole tend to be some of the newer people into the space. Some of the people who entered probably within the last year, year and a half. This is a bad taste because this isn't just a, this is a super bear market. This isn't just a bear. So there's, there's definitely a knock to that confidence. But luckily, from the conversations that I've had, it doesn't seem like people are are completely turned off from the space. Mm-hmm. More wary for sure, and definitely more hesitant, but still not completely turned off. Well, what we're seeing here out, out of the Bahamas is that the Bahamas law enforcement is investigating criminal conduct, misconduct at FTX. Of mm-hmm. course, the, the, the crypto exchange that was once valued at 32 billion, and they're now suing for um suing for they're now suing for bankruptcy. What they're basically mm-hmm. saying is the Bahamas police is investigating Sam Batman Fried's beleaguered and now bankrupt crypto exchange FTX for criminal misconduct. And mm-hmm. its financial crime investigation branch is working closely with the Bahamas securities regulator in the investigation. And so, mm-hmm. of course, they have frozen assets um, there <clears throat> and he's under investigation. But, you know, let me before I get into the truly Caribbean part of things, um, the crypto is quite new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, blockchain, you know, fintech. Well, not blockchain and, you know, basically what I call it's sexy, new, sexy baby, which is, you know, crypto, mm. Um, you know, it's been, it's been around since for the past, what, I think 13 years now. I think that was when um, Satoshi yep. Nakamoto was 13 years old. And it is meant to be, well, the narrative is about, you know, de- decentralization, um, holding, you know, have ownership over your, your ways of making money, having um, ownership over your digital identity. And there are number, there are numerous ways in which crypto can solve different problems in different areas. So I think mm-hmm. you're right that there may be caution, but I think more importantly for me, I hope that there's a raised awareness uh, on about um, these exchanges, how to navigate these exchanges, how to be better at um, at at investing, how to be better at 
um, thinking about what to invest in and thinking about medium to long term versus trying to game the system like some people do it with FX trading, um, mm. especially if you don't know what to do with it. But yeah, but I think this is for me, I'd, I'd like to think positively without question. Some of the bad actors are will always be there, especially in the early parts of any industry, trying to take advantage of what I call information arbitrage. In other words, if you don't know what is happening over there, I'm going to tell you what's happening over there and I'm going to fool you and take your money as you go over there to find out better. And so mm. I think people are people. There are a lot of bad actors in, in the market that are taking full advantage of um, lack of awareness, lack of adoption, lack of understanding. And so that's why it's, it calls to be mindful um, about how you operate in this market, both as an individual, um, mm. as a startup. And of course, as a venture capital firm or um, a high net worth angel investor, because I do believe in blockchain. I do believe in Web3. I do believe in crypto. Um, but it's just I'm glad that there are a lot of the bad actors that are being thrown up right now um, for who and being shown up for what we're truly, they truly, truly, truly are. So let's see what comes as a result, um, especially from the American side in terms of regulation. Um, but it seems as if the Caribbean is um, open to other actors, right, Leroy? Now I get into what does this really oh, mean yeah. for the Caribbean? Oh yeah. What's this really mean for the Caribbean? No, I have my own theory, and then y'all mm -hmm. can poke holes or add to it, right? So mm -hmm. I think maybe around the same time, I can't. I have. I tried to to, to validate my timelines, but I didn't fully do so. Um, when you hear of FTX, FTX made home in in the Bahamas because of the DARE Act and because of the crypto-friendly business environment there. Mm -hmm. Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, made an announcement earlier this year that they were in talks with Binance of, make, of doing some sort of a partnership um, that would expose and um, give opportunities to the Bayesian um, population. We haven't heard anything in terms of the developments where that is concerned. So right now, in the Caribbean now, FTX is dead. Mm -hmm. um, Celsius <clears throat> also died, and that's out of um, Bermuda. Mm -hmm. But the Chinese are here. Let's go. <laughs> Just, Just up the last couple of months, right? Just up mm -hmm. the last couple of months. Two things have happened. Now, I've heard about OKX already through um, Dr. Gillian Bethel, who is one of the co-founders co, um, co of Crypto Isle um, in Nassau. And that's where we had, where Silicon Group had our Future of Caribbean Money event last December. Now, I knew about OKX. So OKX becomes the second crypto exchange to open in crypto-friendly Bahamas. They announced this just this month. Then... Popped up again, where we said another Asian crypto exchange, Chinese-led crypto exchange called Weeby Global, is moving to the Caribbean. Mm. And the person behind this is a dude named Justin Sun, um, who is Chinese and is known for being, you know, flashy types in the in the space. He has been trying to get. Um, UB Global to the Caribbean. So he said in a in an interview that it's either going to be Dominica, Bahamas, no, Dominica or 
Panama, um, mm -hmm. or yes, or Bahamas. Mm -hmm. But we're all thinking that it may be Dominica because he has a deal with the Dominican government to do a Tron token to help them to raise money and to um, promote their heritage and tourism product. Yeah, so you see that right now. So CZ from Binance announced that we want to do some something in, Bar in, in Barbados. Nothing fully yet, but I believe in another year, we'll probably hear something when things have died down with FTX. Then we have these two other Chinese-led crypto um, exchanges that 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 one is heading to um to 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 back to um to Bahamas, OKX, which is actually led by <clears throat> Dr. Julian Bethel, co-owner of um, Crypto Isle, who also lived in Asia for around ten years as a doctor, mm -hmm. and then we now have another Chinese-led crypto exchange that is moving to the Caribbean. So I'm not saying like. You know, the Americans seem to have been bounced out and the Asians are nesting in the Caribbean. Does it does that feel uh familiar? <laughs> no man, I've 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 never heard of those kind of developments happening yeah. in the Caribbean. Not not once have I seen that in a, not one time. No, this is all brand new. Never seen it no. before. For me, I'm just saying that's really interesting. But Ingrid, and, yes. and, and what about your French Tron? Well, Tron, led by Justin Sun. Um, okay. Justin Sun, is, he was the owner of the Tron um, blockchain. And he um, was, no, hold on, still is. Still is. Still is um, the World Trade Organization ambassador for Grenada. Grenada, right. A Chinese mm -hmm. man, WTO ambassador for Grenada. But 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 also I know that I sent you this one when Tron was uh, Tron started trying to lend FTX money to try to help them out, and and again it's it's very interesting the way how and Caribbean governments Ingrid you know my spiel Caribbean governments have to get very smart in terms of how we protect our customers. Yeah. And the reason why I asked Leroy the question, because I know even when, if, if I go back a, a couple of years ago, when Clico collapsed, part of the biggest collapse or part of the biggest um, impacted countries was, was, was Bahamas. And I know they were putting a lot of uh, infrastructure around, you know, making sure that they protected their citizens. Mm -hmm. And here we come again, uh, nearly a decade, uh, 10, 12 years later, we have FTX and uh, Bahamas was one of those who were really pushing ahead with the laws around the sandbox, around, you know, being crypto friendly, et cetera. And so the question really... <clears throat> lies around how do we make sure that we protect Ingrid auntie and she uncle on the corner who may not necessarily be impacted as much but they have strong interest because here's what everybody's trying to find a way out of their current circumstances and so therefore they see all these newfangled shiny things before them and they may take a chance because one of the things that I've realized even in the Caribbean is that 
you have, you know, everybody will try to be selling you, oh, you should get into Amway. And I'm talking, you know, not, not necessarily own digital products, but this man want to sell you Amway or sell you something or sell you something, or you should join this or join that. I've had friends who've been come to my house, hey, you should get involved in this and that. I'm like, uh, okay, I'm not, not interested. How do we protect that small man who don't know about crypto, who don't know about, and you and I, I think we're similar in terms of blockchain and its purposes. And it's use cases because, you know, I've heard people was in Trinidad recently and somebody's like, hey, what about NFTs and you should be doing this? I'm like, you know, I do think it have use cases, but again, how am I protected? Where are bored apes now? And how many have been sold? And so we really have to make sure that, you know, one of the things that we do on this program is about advocating for the consumer sometimes. But the really question is, how do we ensure that Caribbean governments are cognizant because you did say um, Barbados was quiet. Yeah, but what, what will that look like in a few months after FTX has died down? And will we make people accountable to protect the, the end consumer? Leora, you want to jump in there? Yeah, so I think for me, the focus needs to be on the individual as opposed to the infrastructure. Let me explain what I mean by that. I mean, the, so my previous work, my prior experience in this space has been fundamentally centered around education and awareness. So I try to get the information directly to people. And I try to get it in a sense where it's easy, not only easy for them to understand, but easy for them to get enough of a grasp where they know what questions should I ask next? Mm. What should I look to next? What, what actually comes sequentially after this? How does, how does this progress? Where are we going from here? Because this example alone, if this isn't big enough, this example alone states or just shows to me that you, no matter how you spin it, <clears throat> you cannot rely on a government. You cannot rely on a central authority. You have to, and that's at the core premise of crypto itself. It started with Bitcoin and Bitcoin's primary things were two things. It was censorship resistance and uh, self-reliance. It's being, it's, it's being self-dependent. It's being completely uh, in charge of yourself. It's self-sovereignty. That's the word I was looking for. So that self-sovereignty or that, that core ethos in the space builds out the, the necessary fundamentals that you have to navigate any part of the space. You don't have to be a crypto expert. You don't have to know how hashing algorithms work. You don't have to be able to explain how a blockchain is developed to know how it can work, what it can do, and how it can benefit you. When you have a, a higher base or a higher a higher a baseline of people that understand just how this stuff works when they understand what it's supposed mm -hmm. to do, then you don't have to, you don't have to rely so heavily on the government side. Now that's not saying there shouldn't be government side. We definitely need more widespread education on both sides, on the individual and on the government side. It's absolutely necessary, but at the end of the day, it comes down to that individual being able to take accountability and responsibility for their actions. Yes, there needs to be some protection, but you have to understand going into it what it is you might need to be protected against. If you're just throwing money into FTX, anyone who is new to the space, 
throwing money into FTX. As far as they were concerned, they were putting money into an establishment that's accredited by the government. It was greenlit by the government, so it should have been safe. Yeah. So I, for me, I just kind of want us to. You're right. I thought I there should be without question some sort of a general government oversight, um, not mm -hmm. to thwart invest, not to thwart um, innovation or to try to make markets that is that is pro certain certain actors or anything like that. But definitely should be some government guidelines. But you're right, there needs to be the individual who has to take um, responsibility in terms of understanding what they're getting into and know what their risk tolerance is. And this goes for anything, crypto, stocks, real estate, um, you know, starting a business, the whole nine yards, right? Um, for me, you're right. That's what I'm hoping that with FTX and all the, the light that is shining on FTX for the individual or for other, you know, in the investors that they will now be more um, inspired to go and learn more about what is here right now, what is in invariably will become a part of their lives moving forward. And so, I am hoping that this 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 is a this this is a call for um, awareness that will lead to more adoption. And when we talk about adoption across the region, I did a piece months ago around the top eight Caribbean crypto countries, and. <clears throat> These are just like the early adopters. Haiti is number one. Jamaica is number two. Puerto Rico, Trinidad, Suriname, the Bahamas, um, Belize, Barbados. Those are the top eight um, Caribbean countries that have the most crypto users um, right now. And you, you compare that to like top countries around the world with the top crypto users. Number one is India. Number two is the United States. Number three is um, Nigeria. Now, there has to be some inherent value in crypto, while a lot of these people have gone in to test the early waters and to learn and to and to lose and to win um, along the way. So for me, um, <clears throat> I gave up information around the chess game that may be played between America and the, and, and, um, and the Chinese. Um, it goes to at top levels in terms of economics and using and you know th those two superpowers in the world using soft power to you know engender themselves um you know into certain markets and the, the chinese because of, of course justin sun was also came knocking in jamaica to see what could happen for his tron blockchain and getting involved with um that nothing has come of it yet because um but I'm definitely tracking it like crazy. So for me, as we wrapped up this section, um, FTX has happened. A lot of contagion and fallout is still unfolding one week later. Without question, I believe that there will be people who are going to be in short pants and in jail um, only for... Orange you know, jumpsuits. Example of, yeah, say it again? Orange jumpsuits. Or yeah, orange jumpsuits, right? <laughs> and <laughs> and um and so and you know, because this was criminal, without question, this was definitely um criminal. And so we'll see as things unfold. Maybe we'll be talking about it in the next podcast. But what I'm and then people need to become aware of maybe the chess game that is happening between American-run um businesses in the space. Two of the American-led, um, you know, leading big businesses in the crypto space have died. FTX out of Bahamas, Celsius out of Bermuda, and we have um, Binance that has been courting um, Barbados for a while. We now have OX, um, OKX that have made themselves 
um, resident in um, the Bahamas, and we'll see where UB Global goes, whether they go to Dominica or to the Bahamas um, as well. So we have the Americans who have been who have flamed out, but the Chinese are robust and making themselves very present in the Caribbean. But at the end of the day, awareness um, of the opportunity and also the pitfalls, I think, need to be the message that we leave with the people who are listening to this week um, in Caribbean tech. So we can't, because if we're to keep going on this, we'd be there for two hours because there's a, a lot of shit mm. that is being unveiled. <laughs> Every single day, there is something else to the point where it's worse than almost like watching um, Elon Musk try to make something out of Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> I ain't kidding, man. I ain't kidding. Anyway, let's move on to the next um, topic. And the next topic um, has to do with digital remittances. And it's interesting that digital remittances is a very interesting um, thing. Now, the news out of, out of this is that Jamaica's largest commercial bank NCB, the National Commercial Bank, which is owned by billionaire Michael Lee Chin, got a government license to go after what they see as a Jamaican remittance market, which is worth 3.3 billion US dollars. And they're going after it, this market with their new startup, new fintech startup, which is a digital wallet called Link. So they got a remittance license. Okay. Uh, that's going to be interesting. Let's see how, so I got, I went and asked some information because I know a couple of people there. And so by the next um, podcast, I'm going to get some details in terms of how is this digital um, remittance thing going to work with the link app? What exactly, what, what, um, what platform will they be using? Will it be using blockchain? Will it be using, um, you know, other, you know, you know, existing platforms, you know, MoneyGram, Western Union, whatever it is to make those things happen. But at the same time, crypto remittances um, right now has been the third most, the third fastest growing way that digital remittances are actually been happening for the last couple of years. Of course, Western Union still is, is a big, um, big kahuna in the pond. They're number one. But crypto remittances by a number of startups across the world um, have been really kind of making an inroads into digital remittances. Why? It's faster, it's cheaper, um, and it's definitely more convenient. Typically, especially in the Caribbean, digital remittances um, will charge 5.6% of whatever is being sent. With digital remittances or crypto remittances, it's down to as, as little as 2%. Funny enough, I, I was reading and I came across this thing where the um, SDG, um, what do you call it now, targets for, um, I think, 2030 is to get the cost of remittances down from 5.6 to at least 3% so that most of the money retains with the people who are sending it and the families who need it and Receive not... It. And that yeah, the families who need it and receive it, and not it being simply um, a big boy girl game where they're taking the largest of the money. But what are your thoughts around um, digital remittances in terms of um, NCB doing it, and just generally as we talk, we're talking about crypto remittances? Do you know anything around about that, Leroy? 
Um, I'm not too familiar on the other aspects of it outside of the crypto space. I know crypto remittances, as you said, have been largely on the rise um, as more people start to see the utility, the ease of use, the ease of access. Um, the main problem of it being the on and off ramps where people actually convert the crypto back to the to their native fiat currency. Um, but no, I'm definitely all for it. I would love to see how this plays out, how it develops. Um, you said it was in Jamaica, right? What yes. I haven't seen recently, but what what has the development of Jamdex been like recently? The Ever uptake, since that? The uptake has been slow and low. Um, <laughs> and we haven't gotten any recent reports about it, but they, they said that they're giving, giving Jamdex a, a, a window of um, adoption because there has to be more awareness around it. Mm -hmm. But I, Thank you for saying that. I'm going to go find exactly the latest figures, but um, based on what I checked on a couple of months ago, it was still still low um, and slow. But of course, the government is still trying to hammer it and say, hey, this is the way that we need to go. So let's mm. see if the remittances and NCB, being the largest bank in Jamaica, doing remittances this way will help to foster the adoption of Jamdex in the country. Maybe that's mm. part of the ploy um, there as well. So we'll see what happens. Any 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 um, insights or comments, Daniel? You know, this is something that even when I was in telecoms, um, that I thought that there is a large opportunity here to, number one, really reduce the cost um, for remittances. So when you said that even initially, I, I didn't realize it was a, a development goal to get to that number. But I do think that this, it, it again, for the consumer, to me, it augurs well. Um, I do think that because NCB does have the largest um, footprint, especially in Jamaica, it gives them the opportunity. But I think that, you know, it would all come down to messaging. And it would all come down to what people think are the cost benefits, because um, I know Grace Kennedy is like the largest, you know, uh, between MoneyGram and, and Grace Kennedy. You know, I think they're partnered. So the way how that works and then getting driving that cost down. But in the region, the amount of money that is sent, especially when we start looking at Jamaican diaspora sending back home. Um, that's billions of dollars. So um, I guess it's the next move now is on to see how Grace Kennedy reacts um, and yes. then how what what they actually do in the space from a competitive um, positioning to really uh, try to empower. Because, you know, what we have understood, I mean, if we go back to even telecom days, there's a bunch of a money that is made off of Caribbean consumers. And we prop up a lot of these companies. Yes. And only when we have competition do we see costs. So we, you know, we talk about cable and wireless and when Digicel came in and how that drove the cost down. But ultimately, I think that this is a win for consumers. So I guess to see to see how adoption evolves is going to be really, you know, the eye opener and the opportunity that is there for, um, you know, links to dominate the market. Yeah, you see, again, you're correct. It's going to be interesting to see how um, Grace Kennedy, which um, does MoneyGram, and I think VMBS does MoneyGram as well, but Grace Kennedy owns the largest amount of um, remittance um, outlets across Jamaica. And so they've had a, a, a digital wallet system um, for a while, but it's not really been 
pumped up or not being really being used a lot. And they said that it was because there was a lack of awareness, there was lack of digital um, <clears throat> not literacy in terms of using it. Um, I believe that is not the case, but I don't have the data. I just think that mm -hmm. when it comes to money and people and Jamaicans getting money, or just Caribbean people getting money, or Black people getting money, if it's going to make them money, they'll find a way to know how it works. Punto final. This is why I keep saying that not just, it does, let's just see in terms of Grace Kennedy and how they respond, but also Digicel. Digicel partnered with Paymaster, and Paymaster is a bill payment um, network across um, Jamaica. They were bought by Digicel. Of course, Digicel is the, is, um, the, the largest, um, I think still, largest telecom um, company across the region. They pretty much have been using um, digital money called credit or airtime since they've been in business. The mere fact that you can actually move money and send airtime or credit to each other's phone, that's almost that's a form of digital digital money. Yep. They they um actually have a digital wallet out called MyCash, which they have launched primarily in Haiti right now because Link kind of beat them to the market in terms of the um the big um scenario. So between Digicel and Paymaster, Grace Kennedy and NCB with the Link app, we're gonna see exactly who will um, thrive and do well in the digital remittance space. But at the end of the day, as you said, I really hope that it is the cons cons consumer that wins because it really would make very little sense if it's digital remittances, but they, the fees are still high. It is still inconvenient. Um, to get, and it still takes days or, you know, you know, longer than 15 minutes or an hour for them to get the remittances so they can actually use it. So for me, um, time will tell. It's going to be interesting. It's interesting. Let's see if in any way, shape or form blockchain um, comes to play in any of these, um, how these, these, these players navigate this play for sure. Let me ask Leroy, do, will, would, since Bahamas has the Dare Act, wouldn't mm -hmm. it be easy then to do crypto remittances um, in 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 that jurisdiction? Theoretically, yes, it should be easier. Theoretically, it should be easier um, because the the infrastructure for that off ramp because it's easy. Anyone in the world could receive Bitcoin. Anyone could receive Ether. Anyone could they could even receive Tron. If they wanted to, I don't know why they would want that, but if they wanted to, they could receive Tron. But the 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 issue what a lot of countries have is that off ramp. It's that way to actually convert that crypto or the Bitcoin into their local currency. With the Bahamas having the Dare Act and having these businesses firmly established as registered digital assets businesses, we now have an avenue for people to safely or at least within. Uh, 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 an insured environment be able to have these off ramps, thus making it easier for people to receive. I could get Bitcoin from anywhere in the world. I could work remotely. I could work as a digital artist, a graphic designer, a content creator, whatever. And I could have clients anywhere in the world pay me in Bitcoin or whatever token. And then I would be able to go to whatever the local digital assets business is, set up an account with them, whatever KYC AML needs to be set up and then I should be able to convert that to Bahamian dollars or even the sand dollar which they're really trying to implement as well 
So theoretically, yes, it should be easier for it to happen. We just have yet to really see it be fully fleshed out, I would say. Yeah. Um, and that, going back to the education, everything for me ties back to the education. Right. Because how I see it, the more educated people are or the more self-aware they become with how this stuff works and what it can do, what it should do, mm-hmm. that itself is an innovation driver. Because if you know what works, if you know how it works, not the details, but you don't have to know how Wi-Fi works to get Wi-Fi to work. But if you know how to use this technology Mm -hmm. and then you see what's being presented to you, you can say, I I know that there's better. I know that I can do this. And when you when you have a market moving towards what they know works. The companies have to adapt. Yeah. So when we say education, though, Leroy, what exactly are you meaning mm-hmm. you're talking about? I mean, uh, when I say education, I'm talking about that fundamental understanding of this digital asset space, specifically crypto, but it, it's it's larger than crypto. Crypto mm-hmm. is, how, do we, is, how do we educate them? What's the, what do you think? If you've been in this era, what it been this era for a little while? What is what have you seen been the best way to get people aware and adopting? Realistically, the best and most effective way that I've seen has been localized groups coming together. So you have local meetups, you have local groups, you have groups of of activists, of enthusiasts, just generally meeting and conversing with others in the space, others that are interested in this technology, others that are looking towards how it's going to be developed, how it's being fleshed out, and just having those conversations alone. Because with the internet being what it is, it's easy to get information, but it's also easy to get misinformation. True. Yeah. And being a newer person in the space, there's no way for you to be able to tell the difference between, say, Andreas Antonopoulos and Gary V. There's no way to really be able to differentiate between who, who actually has that core, that fundamental understanding of how this stuff works and who's just marketing, who, who just sounds good, you know? So I feel that the most effective, and it's not, it. so it's definitely slower. It's definitely not ideal, but in terms of getting genuine information and learning how this stuff works, learning how to safely navigate the space yourself, I found that the absolute best has been meeting with others and conversing with others in the space um, local groups. Um, if you can get out, get off your island, leave your state, your country, wherever you are, go to one of those international meetups. So then you're exposed to newer ideas. But even if that's not on the table, just meeting with people locally does huge, there's huge benefits to having those conversations once a week. Yeah, I, I agree. For the community level, for no ground up, um, for people who are trust, who are trusted and who are... Um doing the thing themselves and have will have the patience and the time to 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 share with you in different ways um yeah i agree with you i agree with you where that is concerned how would you like to know how would you like to learn about um more about crypto daniel no i I think that all the ways that leroy uh outlined really uh resonates and it makes sense i think it starts with a localized understanding um 
and also remember, I I live in in, in the crypto in, in the capital of crypto, so I, I'm I'm all up to speed, Ingrid. You, you didn't know I that. I mean, whatever. <laughs> what? The, the mayor gets paid in Bitcoin. You know, we we we're the capital of capital, man. So, but um, on a serious note, um, I do think that what Leroy said really makes sense. Um, and I think that you know, what what while Leroy said it would take a bit longer i do think that though that is where the foundational aspects of making sure that people understand come into play so to me and even some of the the, the, the initiatives that caribbean governments have taken you know um what i do like you know in what was said is that they they actually have been backing despite you know slow uptake and slow adoption they have continued to back and that also creates a feeling of trust because even though I know it's not taking off at a hundred percent, but here's what you are continuing to back it year after year. And then eventually those elite adapters, those middle adapters eventually would say, Hey, you know what? Um, this has been around a while. Uh, it's, it's survived four or five years. Okay. Now I can take my money and kind of put into it because I do realize it has some long-term residual value. So I do think that, you know, what Leroy said is, is uh, from a marketing point of view is, is, Correct, 100% on the button for me. Yeah. All right, well, let's see what happens over the next um, couple of years. Let's see. Let's hopefully that we see that there is a lot more um, education initiatives <clears throat> from the ground up um, and across um, different sectors um, across and across the Caribbean for sure. Because this is not something that we have a choice in the matter. This is something that is now part of the future of money and will be the future of Caribbean money. You see what I did there? I know, yeah. Um, but the event is coming up in um, in February. But um, <laughs> but seriously, that that and that's one of the reasons why we did future of Caribbean money because we have to show people the the fact that these things are happening now in the region around the world and they have no choice but to understand so that they can take full advantage of that. So yeah. All right. So as we wrap up on our last item for today. We're back, we're, we're talking about your fellow Trini, um, Danielle. So this Caribbean woman has the largest LinkedIn following of anyone else in the region. Her name is Bridget Hyacinth. She's a best-selling author, an international keynote speaker on leadership, management, HR, digital transformation, and AI. She's been ranked as the top 100 HR influencers for like four years straight. She's in one of the top 100 most influential people of African descent on the under 40. And she's also one of the top 75 remote work influencers. Now, when I saw this, was it you who told me about her? Or was it somebody else who told me about her? And I went, went looking, looking up for her. And I was like, what? And she's Trini. No, no, I think it was Katie Francis from Digital Jamaica who showed me. And I went and looked up on her thing. And here's what I noticed about her. She leveraged LinkedIn, which is, of course, the number one platform for business professionals and the perfect B2B marketplace for anybody who's looking to build a career or build a business and get quality leads and to assert their thought leadership and their influence um, as well. She was very, very diligent about um, four things. She posted, um, you know, multiple her content multiple times a week whether it was articles or shorts or quotes or videos. Secondly, she engaged with her audience through comments. Third, 
she had what I call a massive, I've never seen, seen somebody do like, do like this before, a massive endorsement strategy. So for whatever, whatever topic that she's known for, want to be known for, whatever in the industry sector that she's aligned with, she has multiple endorsements. I don't mean like one or two, you know, I'm talking about like dozens, dozens. And she's also very, very selective about the communities that she joins and engages that. Now, how many of you truly leverage your LinkedIn profile and that marketplace? <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Nero, you're shaking your head like, not, no, not, like no not even close. Not on that level. No, that's that's amazing. And like being a, a working in this space, working independently, you you learn that you know LinkedIn is the number one space um, for business professionals. It's it's the number one business social media platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't find many people being able to not just use the platform, not just like uh, make posts or have conversations, but to fully leverage it to expand their brand, to expand their business, to expand their network. It's it's remarkable. I mean, that's that's Caribbean excellence. But four point yeah, three not, million, four point three million I'm, people follow her on LinkedIn. I'm not even remotely close to that. <laughs> <laughs> like that, no, that's, that's almost amazing. like that's almost like um Jamaica and the entire population population of Jamaica and Trinidad that follows her on LinkedIn. I'm like, what he asked, right? Is it? Mm. <laughs> but I know, I know, I know, Daniel. You you are very good with your um with your following you you have um what you know we have 15 15 people following you on linkedin you have your audience there that deeply something like that i it's it's nowhere near 4.3 but i i i do know of bridget um and i do know um you know some of the things that but she did what she what i think you also um needed to add to that is that she she was popular somewhere else it was either uh facebook or somewhere else she was also popular um and and i think that she was able to migrate that popularity she understood what you know the strategy and basically migrated it over to linkedin because i do remember when I followed her on LinkedIn, um, she was nowhere near even a hundred, uh, maybe, maybe it was near like a hundred thousand, um, but she was nowhere near that. So I think that even also in the pandemic, that number just ballooned. Um, but yeah, kudos to her on being able to, you know, pull that off. I'd like to um, understand though, just how she's been using that to, because she does post stuff, but, and and some of it is taught leadership, but I, I don't know in terms of how that's leveraged from a business standpoint. So even from a, um, we, we need to have a conversation with her. I'd love to sit down and talk with her, you know, basically interview her to understand, okay, so you've you done know, this and this. Come on our show. We're going to invite you to send an official invitation on LinkedIn to come and join us on This Week in Caribbean Tech. So you can talk to our Caribbean people and say, listen, here's yeah. how your top five things that you must be doing consistently to leverage you know linkedin for career and business but but and and i think that and she stands out from a caribbean point of view because i don't know how many caribbean people actually are really actively engaging using linkedin and i think that that is where she stands out um so so yeah those are just some of the, the you know bullet points to me as as they popped out 
Yeah, you're talking about Caribbean people on LinkedIn. They're the top five countries on LinkedIn, including Jamaica, Trinidad. Yeah. Um, basically, numbers around 3.7 million um, people within the, the top five Caribbean countries that are actually on LinkedIn. So it's going to be interesting to see how um what they can learn what are, are they really using it so we'll we'll see we're gonna ha- try and have on um Bridget uh, to see and you, you can't use it like facebook where, where, where we boost in for likes right <laughs> i mean you can but you <laughs> can as part of the strategy because i'm it's, sure it is. Well, let's, but, but, let's see let's see if she 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 was organic or organic plus paid ain't nothing wrong with paying paying is just is buying awareness that's all it's just so much shot in the game no, but what I'm saying that I know for a lot of Caribbean businesses, what they did was just plow money into Facebook and, you know, just hope to get likes and, and, and oh. engagement. But, you know, mm. in LinkedIn, that that's not how it works. You you could put out something, you know, people can, but, you know, you have to be relevant. And so that relevance conversation has to be, you know, part of the strategy. For sure. And we're ending now with two information about two events. And the first is happening this Friday. Um, November 18th, um, Caribbean businesses are going to be heading to the metaverse. They're going to learn about this $5 trillion US dollar opportunity. It's an event that is being put on by um, Caribbean economist Mala Dukran. And let me, let me open this up here because we endorse this event. Silicon Caribbean endorsed this event. And so, say it again. The metaverse. The metaverse. So basically what 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 Marley is saying is that listen, she cares about the fact that she wants to put this opportunity in people's hands to be early adopters. She believes that the trends of the future can start right here in the region. I'm with her with that. So she's going to deliver her annual economic outlook for 2023 in this metaverse event. Um, but also there's going to be like a lineup of um, you know. Nine nine speakers from five countries that's going to be talking about things around climate tech, um, the tech entrepreneurial ecosystem, um, what to expect in terms of um, you know, inflation, economics, and that kind of a thing. So, and and believe it or not, of course, she may be based in Bahamas right now, um, in the Barbados, Barbados. right, now, but she's a Trinidadian, so. It wouldn't be a thing if they didn't have some soca. So <laughs> there'll be a live concert in the metaverse um, by Three Canal, the Trinidad and Rapso band. So we have endorsed this event. So if you want to go to understand what this potential um, that the metaverse holds for um, Caribbean businesses and for businesses generally, because McKinsey has put out a report um, that by 2030, um, the metaverse will be um, generating around $2.5 trillion in value globally. If you want to actually in, um, learn more about the metaverse and its potential business opportunities for your Caribbean business, then go to siliconcarib.com. Um, in fact, go to marladukaran.com slash metaverse. And uh, there's limited seating, but use our code S. C for Silicon Caribbean, SC, the number 10, SC10, and get 10% off your ticket. So you can go to siliconcaribbean.com, see the see our article there about um, this metaverse event that is happening this Friday, November the 18th. Click on the link and go buy your ticket and get um, 10% off using our SC10 code. 
So yeah, so there's that. And then the last event I need to tell you about is ours. Um, we had put on the future our first Future of Caribbean Money conference December last year. Um, it was December and we had we held it in the Bahamas because of course Crypto Isle at the time was opening and, and we know that Bahamas was going to be doing some interesting things. And so this year we had um we had 300 people participating from 22 countries. We had 40 speakers and the response was great. We decided to shift and do um, the event, not just annually, but twice a year, more as a trend forum, a half day trend forum. So we're having our next Future of Caribbean Money trend forum on Wednesday, February the 1st, 2023. And it'll be all about the outlook for the year, trends and startups. And we're focusing on e-commerce, digital payments, um, Web3 and remittances. So if you want to be um, know what is happening with that as we flow up more um, information around that, stay tuned by signing up for the This Week in Caribbean Tech newsletter at siliconcarib.com. And of course, stay tuned here to This Week in Caribbean Tech. So look, guys, I ate that, you know, we're done. It's, um, <laughs> I have an event to go to. Daniel has to go deal with his family. And Leroy, where exactly are you right now in the world? So right now I'm living in Maryland. Not too oh. far, not too, too far from now. So I never stray too far. Um, but yeah, working remotely here uh, as a writer, research analyst. Um, but yeah, I still try. I still try to make my way home every now and again. I definitely have to come to the next Future Caribbean Money event. I was supposed to come last year, but I couldn't make it. But I definitely got to catch this one. So I mark yeah. that date down. Yes, we will definitely um definitely keep you posted for that. So any last fighting words from anybody and before we wrap up and say toodle pips. Uh, I just want to thank Leroy for coming on and uh, educating us about, you know, the education that we need basically. <laughs> and really kind of shining a light about what is going on from from the perspective of, you know, FTX and, you know, what is happening. Um I think it's great, and I think it, it continues to show that while we can't push the the the, um, the levels of innovation, we need to make sure that while we innovate, we educate. One can't happen without the other. So, uh, thanks to for coming on and really uh, continuing to convey that message to us. All right, sounds good. And that's it, folks. That's it for this episode of This Week in Caribbean Tech from Silicon Carib. If you've got something of value, comment below, click that link, like it, share it, be generous with, um, you know, with your friends and colleagues and tell them about um, This Week in Caribbean Tech podcast that will help us to grow. And uh, remember that you can watch us on Silicon Carib TV channel on YouTube, and you can listen to us across nine podcast platforms in audio format on Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and other major platforms. And of course, you're going to see us back here next week, Friday, with another episode of This Week in Caribbean Tech. My name is Ingrid Riley. I'm Daniel Smith. As, as a, you know, it's a pause. I, just, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was wondering if I was supposed to do something. Because I was like, hold on, I, I missed my line. <laughs> no, man. I, I love messing with Ingrid sometimes. So I. <laughs> <laughs>
you know. He does. He does. He does do that. But anyway, um, yeah, you heard from him. Thank you so much, Leroy Forrest, for joining us. Daniel Smith, another podcast on the books. Take it easy, fellas. Um, take it easy, everybody. Um, right. see you Bye-bye. next week, Friday. All right. Thanks. Take care, y'all. Yeah.